0: You're listening to CMO Moves, the podcast that showcases the human side of game-changing leaders. Hear their incredible journeys,
1: the moves that they made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands.
0: We hope you'll enjoy their stories and take away a few tips and inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of CMO Moves. Today, I'm here with William White, Chief Marketing Officer of Walmart. William, hi, and welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Heidi. It's so good to be here. I'm I'm really thrilled to do this with you today.
0: It's so awesome to see you. And just as we start recording, the trees behind you finally calm down. It's, it's a little crazy I, out there.
1: I've learned in eight, eight or nine springs in Minneapolis, it is the windy season here. March, April, uh, and as a runner and cyclist, uh, it's sometimes overwhelming, the wind this time of year.
0: <laughs> Does it help or hurt your running? I guess it depends, it, it, which, it depends which direction.
1: direction. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, awesome. Um, and remind me, how long have you been in Minneapolis?
1: Uh, since the beginning of 2013.
0: Okay. All right. So do you consider that home?
1: It has, it has certainly started to feel that way. uh, As a person who grew up in Atlanta and spent a lot of my life in Atlanta growing up, but also working there when I was at Coca-Cola. I'm a little surprised at how much we've embraced it. My wife is also from Atlanta and we have, we have loved, loved, loved Minneapolis. It's a wonderful city.
0: Well, William, great. I want to start by talking about you taking on this role of CMO. It's been about a year, right? Almost a year?
1: Coming up on a year.
0: So you took on this role at the start of when the pandemic was really heating up. Just first of all, take us back to that transition from your role at Target to Walmart, what that was like.
1: It was challenging. It's certainly not the, maybe not the recommended approach, but one thing that I think helped was because the company was in crisis mode. I mean, we were having a crisis, obviously in the country. And so that galvanizes people. People come together and and it helps focus you really well. And so I think to join during that time, I was able to build relationships potentially in ways that would have taken much longer had it been sort of normal business as usual, because we're really rolling up our sleeves and and digging in to help our customers, help our associates, the communities that we serve uh, during a really important time. And um, so I think that was a galvanizing force. Now, of course, doing it in Minneapolis and mostly from my basement in Minneapolis with (laughs) with very few windows um, you know, it is a little bit harder to build rapport with people that way over Zoom, but I like to think that I leaned in appropriately. I'm a, I'm a big listener, and so there was a lot of listening to understand, make sure I'm, I was really attuned to the culture and the ways of working um, that I think helped, helped me to adapt pretty quickly in the, in the crazy environment.
0: That's yeah, interesting. You you really didn't have time for a typical first 100 days that you would no. otherwise.
1: <laughs> definitely, definitely not. It was in the fire quickly. Uh, yeah, for sure.
0: Well, that's one way to do it. Yeah. And te- tell us what made you want to take this role to begin with?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, it's the CMO job at the Fortune One. And so, you know, that's definitely a dream job. And I look at it Still today, I mean, every day is there's a real privilege and honor to be in that role and to help shape the direction of a brand that's so meaningful to so many people across the country. And I was really drawn to the size and the scope and the scale of it. When I was going through the inter- interview process and thinking about the company and thinking about what was going on in the world, and this was pre pandemic, I mean, um, w- during this time, but Big, big macro issues that I think our country is facing, the widening economic gap, sustainability, racial equity. These are things that Walmart has an opportunity to drive impact. You know, the size and the scope and scale, when Walmart makes a move, there's a really big ripple. And so for me, I was drawn to that. Um, and, And again, I think it's it's a real privilege and honor to to be a part of it and to be a part of a company that has the kind of impact that, that Walmart does across the country and f- for so many people and so many communities.
0: And we're going to talk a little bit more about some of that work, but bef- before that, just thinking about your career as a whole, you started agency side, right? Before going brand and never looking back. So do you think you ever saw yourself becoming CMO? Was that kind of the goal or, or what was that like for you? Yeah. I mean,
1: Certainly not at the very beginning of my career, um, but I would say at some point during my tenure at Coca-Cola, and I was there for eight or nine years, probably the maybe the midpoint of my career at Coke. Being CMO was on my radar, and it was something that that you know I I I pinned as a as a career, a career goal for myself, and I think that. The moves that I made, uh, the ways that I wanted to develop, I think were intentional to help get me to have the, to, to have the opportunity to be in a CMO role.
0: What were one or two of those moves? If you could remember back. So,
1: I mean, I think, you know, just if I look at the, the 25 year career trajectory, I think there are decisions that I made big and small that helped get me to where I am today. Some of those things may be more intentional with the idea of being CMO. Some of them just felt right in the moment that when I look back, it was like, wow, that was probably, you know, that probably set me up appropriately. And and I'll go way back. I mean, I think my first job out of college, you referenced, I was on the agency side. I went to Starcom MediaVest. When I joined, it was DMBNB, which ages myself for (laughs) any listeners who know DMBNB. Uh, but I remember in taking that job. And as I said, I, gr- I grew up in Atlanta and I remember having a conversation with my dad and, and he said, wow, y- you know, the cost of living is really high in New York uh, assistant media planner. I don't know. That's not a high paying job. <laughs> and so to do that in New York, my dad said, well, you could probably do a similar job in Atlanta, much lower cost of living. And we talked about it for a bit. And in the end, you know, I made the move to New York and, and he was supportive. My family was supportive of that. But to do the job in that field, New York's the place to do it. And so I think, you know, just from that first decision of that first role, I wanted to be in the best place mm-hmm. to do the role. I thought I would learn the most in doing that. I would have gained the most experience. Versus doing that in a place that's not a big media market. So I think that's a, as a starting point, that's a, that's a big, important move. Um, I think the decision to get an MBA was meaningful. That's not required. I'm sure you've interviewed uh, a number of CMOs on the podcast who don't have an MBA. While that's not required, I think that it helped me gain experience and learning. It's a great resume builder. It helped open doors. And so I look at, I look back at that as an important step. The first job out of business school, I went to Coca-Cola and, you know, CPGs hire MBA grads into assistant brand manager jobs all the time. There's a rotational program that you go into that. I intentionally did not want to do that. I was hell bent on getting a job in a corporate strategy department. Those are smaller. Those jobs are hard to get. And so it took a lot more hustling to get into one of those roles. But in doing that job at Coke, I think I set myself apart from all of the other assistant brand managers who were there and I had more senior exposure in the company. And I think ultimately that helped me land um, a big coveted job on the global marketing team. And when I left Coke, I had a number of opportunities on the table and I ended up taking the job at Target I felt like having retail and CPG was a great combination um, to help set me up to do a lot of, I could go do a lot of different things after that. And without a doubt, the seven years that I spent at Target helped get me ready to be the CMO at Walmart. So again, decisions big and small, but those I think really stand out to me as as things I did to help prepare me and get me ready for, for the role.
0: And I feel like the common thread there is just intentionality. I mean, there's no right or wrong way to have your career. Some are, some are very linear, some are all over the place. And, yeah. But I think a common theme is just being intentional with the moves that you make.
1: I mean, I, I completely agree with that. There was a moment at Coke where I almost left to go somewhere else and I didn't. And when I look back, I'm glad I didn't. You know, I had eight or eight or nine great years at Coke and I think it was a great training ground. And if I had left in the middle, maybe that would have set me, maybe I would have, I could have gotten there faster. I don't know, but I think it was important to get all of that experience. I mean, to to really make sure that I got everything out of that. Absolutely. When I was at Target, I almost left once and I didn't, and I'm really glad I didn't. Um, and and, and And so I think you know some people make more moves than i than than I have had, and again there's no as you said there's no right or wrong, but when I have made a move there's no look back. I mean, I mm-hmm. felt like I got everything out of the company and the experience um, before before going
0: and you know <clears throat> on the note of intentionality, did you align yourself with any mentors that could because you knowing that you saw yourself as CMO at a certain point? I'm sure that even impacted the relationships and people you tapped into for advice along the way.
1: Well, absolutely. I feel, I mean, I worked at great brands, great companies, highly talented people. And I feel very fortunate that you know, a lot of people helped shape my career. Um, a lot of people gave me responsi- important responsibilities that helped me grow. Um, I think having a, a, a handful of, of mentors is really important.
0: And being in marketing, as long as you've been, you know, at these mega brands and how just in the past year, we talk with our collaboration teams about the evolving role of the CMO and oh, just yes. marketing as a whole and how much it's been elevated. What's your perspective on that? What have you seen and experienced um, that, that really stands out to you as like the biggest shift?
1: There is no doubt that the role of the CMO has changed more than any other C-suite officer in the last 25 years. And while certainly the classic art of branding is still a part of it, increasingly that's combined with the latest advances in data and measurement. And I'm sure you hear that all the time. Um, And it, and it absolutely is the case. And so I think the job and the role is about, Staying ahead of consumer and cultural trends, but also digital technology,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and that's really important. And those are those are pretty distinct skill sets. And so I think you have some CMOS today who you know are really expert in kind of one of those areas or or the other. Um, but you have to be you have to be able to play in both spaces. Mm-hmm. There is definitely a greater expectation of marketing today to drive growth. And so there's more rigor into how marketing drives sales. And what's interesting is while we're still, we're, we're heavily scrutinized and looked at for the return on investment, at the same time, we're looked to for innovation and risk-taking. So you know, there's, a, there's a balance that happens with that I think the bottom line is it's a complex job and they're high expectations. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you balance that? Right. You hit the nail on the head. It's increased expectation and pressure that comes along with the privilege of getting to yeah. have a voice in a seat at the table, like never before. How do you balance that for both yourself as a member of the C-suite and also just leading a team?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's, it's, it's a challenge. I think that, there has to be a level of pragmatism where you have you have to understand what's happening in the business, where the pressures are coming, how you can pivot and relate and lean in or lean out. I think it's about having shared vision and understanding across the C-suite into, into what the role of marketing is, how we can play, being really transparent about here's the direction that we're going, why we're going there and building trust such that you can lean a little bit outside of the lines at times. Mm -hmm. And I think with the team, you, you've, you've got to balance that too. You You definitely don't want to constrain the team in such a way where they're not taking risks and they're not, um, pushing the envelope in terms of innovation, but what I think you have to do is you have to really structure that risk-taking innovation such that it's on brief, that it's not innovation for innovation's sake. It's innovation in the direction of where we're going and what we're trying to achieve and what we're trying to help the organization achieve.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, innovating for a brand like Walmart, I mean, I can't even imagine both the sandbox you get to play in, but also the level of preciousness that comes with that level of responsibility. In terms of innovation, what are you really excited about right now?
1: Well, you know, I think that this last year has forced everyone to think and operate differently. And in some cases, there are existing trends that the country or that the consumer that people were, were going down where that's just accelerated. In other cases, there are new things that have emerged. In the context of that, Walmart plus has been a really big initiative for us. Uh, this is the membership program that we launched in the back half of last year, which is really designed to help make our customers' lives easier. And I think Walmart has always been a champion for, The right item at the right price but it's it's certainly more than that now with the with the world that we're living in we Walmart are recognizing the role that experience plays for our customers and so the membership is designed for all of the it's designed for the life that you're living today and in providing you with with the the convenience um, that that we bring in terms of free shipping and delivery, a scan and go shopping experience in the store. That's touch free um, and, and other benefits. And I think in many ways that's the best of the Walmart experience and that innovation we've been pushing down that path and we'll continue to lean into Walmart plus other, other things that we've done, which are new and different um, are more experiential in nature. And what I would call generous brand gestures where Just to name a few, we did drive-in movie theaters last summer in our parking lots for our customers. And that was just leaning into what families are going through and and being able to to use our assets of of our store parking lots to provide some fun and lightheartedness. We did Halloween experience within our parking lots. We did the Holiday Drone Light Show, which was a super cool event, which again was was free for, for, for people. The number of emails I got from customers thanking Walmart for that experience this holiday season was really, really remarkable. I mean, I was taking it back. It feels great. And I think that the humanity behind these efforts is certainly something that we want to continue. I think it's important for our customers. It's important for our brand.
0: Yeah, that was going to be my next question is just thinking about those pivots. How is that changing how you're thinking about experiential in, in ways that you probably weren't before?
1: Yeah, I think for us, it's leaning in and understanding what our customer is going through and being empathetic for the customer and realizing the role that we can play in designing experiences for them that, that meet their needs in in ways that only Walmart can And that's something that I think is, is relatively new for us, but is muscle that we want to continue to build because- we do see it's making an impact,
0: right? How, most important question: How did you go about choosing which movies to play? <laughs> I mean, that, I can't. Even, I'm like, I'm a big movie nerd. Uh, for those of you who know uh, me, so I'm just curious, what went into that decision?
1: Uh, gosh, I don't. I don't want to go through all the minutia on that. <laughs> I mean, listen, it, it it certainly starts with the big, you know, family movies—the ones that I think everyone can agree on. But then you get into, you know, the rights and how are we getting those and all those things, it becomes complicated. Fun.
0: Yeah. Fun details, I'm sure. And more on innovation. You guys are doing a lot on TikTok, aren't you? I feel like, <laughs> I, I feel like you guys are having fun.
1: We are having fun. Uh, Walmart has been on TikTok since 2019. So before, before I started. And I think like everyone else on TikTok, it started with a focus on singing and dancing. And as we've, I think, started to really understand how people are using that social community, realizing it is the fastest growing social community, we wanted to bring it a little bit more core to our business. And so in December, so December 2020, a few months back, we took that partnership up a notch and we partnered with them on commerce and we brought the first U.S. Shoppable live stream to TikTok. That's something that is a behavior and and a user experience that is is much more developed in China, and we kind of looked at that for um, guidance just to understand you know how the consumer there is is uh, leaning into that. And so, again, we were the we were the first to bring Shoppable live stream to TikTok in the U.S. And it was, it was quite the partnership. I, we learned a lot. We gained a lot of traction. Our, our, the results that we saw exceeded what our expectations were going in. And so uh, just a couple of weeks ago in March, mid-March, we went at it again and we created another live stream very focused on the beauty category. That is a category that, that really resonates within the TikTok platform. And it was part beauty tutorial um, you know part entertainment, and again, people were able to buy the products that were being featured and used on the live stream within the app, never having to leave the app, the experience right there, very frictionless. I think that's part of a broader push that we're leaning into around social commerce mm-hmm. and you know ultimately we want to shorten the distance between inspiration and purchase for for our customers we're going to continue to test learn iterate in the space consumer behavior is going there we're going to lean into it we want to help innovate it. we want to help drive that behavior for you know, for our customers and for the country. We want to be leading from an industry standpoint Mm -hmm. in that space.
0: And then in terms of social as a whole, how do you view social's role in fostering the community of consumers that Walmart has? I mean,
1: what we've seen is there's the ability to play in mass for our customer base, but we also see a lot of success and a lot of affinity towards the local Walmart store in the social space. And so the social presence for some of our local stores have a pretty robust community and a very impassioned community and an affinity for that store. Walmart has 47,4800 stores across the country and social presents a platform for us to lean into that as well and you know I think we're 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 doing that across different platforms as, as I said both on a national level but also with some success at a local store level.
0: Yeah, I think the local component for a brand is sometimes underutilized across the board, especially on social. So that's Mm -hmm. that's really cool. Going back to that broader message though, thinking about storytelling Mm -hmm. for a brand the size of Walmart, how are you thinking about brand messaging as a whole?
1: Actually, I want to start by saying telling a story and using a Sam Walton quote. We on our team like to use Sam Walton quotes all the time. You want to go back and dig in and dig into the the DNA and the history and the heritage. And Sam Walton was given the presidential medal of freedom in 1992. And in his acceptance speech, the very end, he said, we'll give the world an opportunity to see what it's like to save and have a better life. And I think that over the years Walmart has, at times, leaned heavier into the first part of that, the save money part. And in the world that we live in today, save and have a better life, I think, has never been more relevant. And so as a company, we have and will continue to respond to socioeconomic, environmental, healthcare challenges for our customers and for our communities. And so just looking back on the last year, I mean, three things that I would call out. In the summer, we made a pledge of $100 million over five years to advance racial equity. And we looked at four systemic areas in terms of financial, education, healthcare, the criminal justice system. With regard to sustainability, we made a pledge to become a regenerative company. And we're targeting zero emissions by 2040, managing and restoring 50 million acres of land and 100 million square miles of ocean by 2030. With regard to healthcare, we've been on this journey for some time and I think are really accelerating plans to deliver affordable and accessible healthcare to all. And so, you know, the community has been a part of the the communities where we do business that has been part of the Walmart DNA since day one. And I think that goes back to Sam Walton's vision, but those things are increasingly important for Walmart today. And in particular with our emerging and our future customers, you know, younger customers, certainly more digital native, always on, they're very passionate about the big issues. And so they make purchase decisions on personal affinity and expectations that they have for companies um, and, and the values that companies have. And so I say all that because I think we have just started to really tell that narrative more about what we're doing, leaning more into the purpose, leaning more into the live better side of things. And we're, we're seeing that's making a difference. We're seeing gains in retro, you know, reputation attributes More customers see us as a good corporate citizen. Brand favorability is on the rise. And so I think telling the why behind Walmart is just as important as telling the what we sell.
0: And, you know, next week we're about to have our sustainability and DEI summit uh, where we're bringing together leaders to talk about both the planet topic and the people and the intersection between the two of them. One of our sessions in particular that you just reminded me of is going to dive into bringing internal alignment when it comes to all of these purpose-driven efforts and marketing. How do you really look at that to make it as part of the core of the brand versus just marketing's job to talk about it?
1: Oh, absolutely. So, you know, we talked earlier about mentors and, and leaders and Mark Matu, who I work for at Coca-Cola, I, and I, I, I steal it shamelessly, but he always said, be it, do it, say it. And it happens in that order. And so I think in some organizations, there's a tendency to say, Hey, go tell this story. And it's like, well, hold on. We can't tell the story until we're being it and doing it. Until, you know, we're really living those values. And so when it comes to sort of galvanizing the organization, I think it goes back to our purpose and our values, which are very strong within the company, really making sure that those are on the forefront of the decisions that we make and making sure that we're driving internal action, internal commitments that then you know we take externally of hey we're we're going to go do this we're leaning into this and then I think we start to tell that story so that there all that alignment happens first before the storytelling starts and you know there can be a tendency to again to start to tell it first we've got to live it Um, we got to get our house in order and once we do then then we'll go and and celebrate all of the good things that that we're doing
0: I love that. What a simple way to look at it. That really makes storytelling a lot easier. And and back to the point about marketing and, and the elevated role. We talk a lot about kind of finding this unicorn talent that you need to have, all these skills that are so different than what marketing skills were necessary five, 10 years ago. What do you think are the most critical skills in marketing moving forward?
1: Gosh, uh, there, there there are a lot of them. Uh, you know, for basic leadership and marketing. It really starts with listening. Listening to understand. You've got to listen to understand what is happening with the customer today. That's a skill set that I want to see in people, that they're they're not immediately jumping into, okay, we're going to go do this. There's a moment of clarity that has to happen first. Getting really clear on, on the brief. And again, I think that starts with listening curiosity is really important and i and i certainly think that's tied that's tied in in, in many respects to to listening um, I really want to dig in and understand the problem what's the problem that we're trying to solve what do we see that's happening in culture with the consumer that we can tap in and learn from to go and do things and so really finding people who are who are curious A third thing I would point to, which again, I think is is tied to listening, which is about empathy. And I think to be a great marketer, you have to be empathetic to the customer that you're serving. And so um, somebody who who demonstrates empathy and and demonstrates sort of a deep understanding of the person that we're trying to reach and that we're trying to tell our story to is critical. And so I think those things are more what you I guess call soft skills, then hard marketing tech, tech, you know, Mm -hmm. capabilities and competencies. Um, Those have to be there too, but let's start with the person and how they're wired. Uh, I think it's critical when, when assessing talent.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Every time I ask that question, it's always the soft skills that come first and foremost, hard skills can be trained. um, But sometimes those soft skills are, you either have them or you have a a desire to become that way.
1: And you know what? Again, those are important for marketing. They're also important to being a good leader.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um, and I know, you know, building diverse team, a team of that size is, is critical for you. Tell me about how you ensure that diversity is present as well and what that does for your team.
1: Yeah. So for for me, I think one, this starts with the values of our company and one of the values that that Walmart has is respect for the individual, which is about inclusion. Leaning into inclusion is not just for for our team. It's for our customers too. It is a competitive advantage to us if we're leaning into diversity, equity, inclusion. 91% of America shops at a Walmart. And so we've got to make sure that we are creating an experience for all of our customers that feels welcoming, where everyone can feel welcome seen, heard. To do that for our customers, we've got to start with our team, right? And so um, we've got to have our house in order. We've got to be it uh, before we can, we can really demonstrate that for, for, for our customers. And so there are a number of things that we're doing across our team. Obviously it starts with, in terms of the team of recruiting, making sure that we're committed to diverse slates, for the inner interviewees and the interviewers, um, and so that's a commitment that we have that we're we're leaning into uh, to make sure that we're bringing in the right talent. I think that once people are in place, obviously it's about engaging and making sure that people feel that within the team that um, we're living that value. There are a number of things that we're doing from a training standpoint um, to make sure that we're equipping everyone on the team to understand unconscious bias within how we operate as a team, but also within create our creative work, which I think is really important. We as a company have recently brought in the racial equity Institute to deliver a multi-day training for leaders, which is incredibly powerful and um, everyone who's, who's, who's gone through that training walks away one blown away um, and are talking about it. And I mm-hmm. think are, are taking what they've learned and are, and are really leaning into it in important ways. We've done a thing within the marketing team, which I'm really excited about. We have a DNI review board, which people outside of the jobs that they're doing in the day to day, we have people who have volunteered and are reviewing all the, creative, all the creative assets, all the work before it goes out the door. Um, and, and not just when it's done, but starting with the brief and, and along the process. And I think th- the intention of that really is to ensure that the work is reflective of the world around us, that we're not perpetuating stereotypes and, and that sort of thing. And while that's improved, I think our work product going mm-hmm. out the door, it's also created the right conversations within the team. And I think we're helping to build the DNI acumen of our team uh, in the process of doing that. Early on, I started listening sessions, which really small format, ten or twelve people, where I'm you know going across every month, and ultimately we'll get to everyone on the floor. Where I just want to uncover for people what are the obstacles for success, mm-hmm. and and making sure we're removing those obstacles, and um, that that I'm providing the right kind of leadership that people need to feel that they can be their true self, that they can be their authentic self at work. We've started having speakers. Occasionally I'll bring in external leaders as well from just leaders across the industry who I think are giving great perspective. I'll, I'll say one more because I'm really excited about something that we're just, we're just starting, which is um, a newsletter where the goal is to increase education and awareness of DEI topics make inclusive inclusivity within marketing top of mind for everyone. It's also about highlight, we'll highlight great work by individuals on the team for greater visibility. And I think we'll provide discussion topics for teams. And so, you know, I think that's another one that we're just kicking off that I, that I think will have a meaningful impact for the team.
0: Yeah. I love the part about the internal review board within the marketing team, because it's almost like an inadvertent side product just having those conversations just because you're doing that. And then your product is that much better for it. And you know, we're, um, we're almost out of time. I'm almost reaching my final question for you, William, but I've been thinking a lot about back to the beginning when you were telling me about your very intentional mindset, when you started out in your career, tell me about your biggest learning slip-up failure that really has, Oof. you know, impacted your career when you look back at it today?
1: Oh, gosh. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> or, or just one of them. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah no, exactly. I, there, there's, a, there's a long list of <laughs> failures. I, I'll answer the question this way. Hopefully you don't think this is a dodge. I'm not going to give you a specific, but to say that I am really wired... For progress. And I mean, we could have a long therapy session with me on the couch, giving you a number of, of different factors in my life, people, experiences, that sort of thing that have led me to what drives me most is progress. And that is about getting better every day and everything that you do. Right. And so that's for me as a leader. That's for me as a parent. That's for the actual work product that we do, et cetera, et cetera. So I look at all, like any of those failures, big or small, as an opportunity to drive progress, mm-hmm. to learn, to really understand what went wrong, why, really asking why that's important, uncovering the how this could be better. And then being prepared for that, for the future. Yeah. Um, That's
0: not a dodge at all. I actually agree. I, I I learned something from my my mother a long time ago. And she used to always say, it's not what happened that mattered. It's how you handle it and what you do from there. And I think that almost reframes your thinking to focus yes. on the progress that comes out of the mistake versus focusing on that mistake for too long.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So we both found a way to dodge that. Okay. <laughs> Well, good. Okay, so last question for you, which I know you're, you're not going to be surprised at all, but <laughs> right. if you weren't a CMO for Walmart or CMO at all, what in the world would you be doing? Talent and money are no object.
1: First of all, I hope it's come across that I'm passionate about being a marketer <laughs> <laughs> and I'm passionate about being the CMO at Walmart. So um, again, I think that's a, that's a dream job. I love doing it. If I, if I weren't doing it and I weren't in marketing, I'd have to be doing something that I'm passionate about. And when I think about the things outside of work that I am most passionate about, those are things where I don't have the talent to make a living.
0: <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> always the case? <laughs> love,
1: I love running. I love biking. I love snowboarding, playing golf, music, music, All of those things. It'd be really cool to make a living in doing any of those. That said, if I really stopped to think about it, I would miss the people and people, the people on the team, the people that I work with. Marketing is understanding people. And, and I think doing any of those things, which are great hobbies Um, wouldn't give me the right outlet for that. So if I I won't dodge the question, I'll come to a singular thing, (laughs) which is to say, I guess what I would try to do is combine my love of running and people. And I guess that would lead me to either being an orthopedic surgeon or a physical therapist. <laughs> or a
0: coach. I was gonna or say coach, I, I think maybe you would yeah. be a good teacher. Do you like um do, do you like teaching your kids sports? You have three kids, right?
1: I do have three kids. Yeah. And I I have really enjoyed watching them play sports.
0: It's the best.
1: It is it is the best. I don't think I'm equipped to being their coach. Or they their... probably think
0: you're <laughs> the most amazing coach ever. That's we always <laughs> underestimate our our
1: no. My, my wife of us My wife coaches my oldest daughter in basketball. Nice. This is kind of her backup sport. Um, she's really into soccer and I'm so happy that she has two amazing soccer coaches that aren't me. Or <laughs> wife, that, um, are, are highly skilled soccer players and, and great coaches. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, William, thank you so much. This was awesome talking to you. I've been wanting to chat with you for a while and I can't thank you enough for joining us on today's show. So thanks for being here and can't wait to see what you guys cook up next.
1: Hey, this was super fun. Uh, thanks for inviting me. And uh, I certainly hope listeners enjoy it. Uh, it was, I, I really, I'll let it. you
0: know. I'll, I'll let you know how, <laughs> how they take it. Me too. Me too.
1: Thanks <laughs> All so right. much.
0: Thanks so much. Have a great day.
1: All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in today, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, we'd love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues. And please also be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Better yet, leave us a review while you're at it. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company?